Hey there, folks. Welcome back to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, along with my co-host and colleague, Bruce Kelly. Bruce, say hello to all your fans. Hello, fans. All right. Our uh, special guest this week is uh, Leslie Marshall, head of experiential marketing at Morningstar. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that's funny, but... um, it's I know such why it's a good funny. Title. I'll tell everyone later. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we've got Leslie Marshall here to talk about the. This is this. We're recording this on September 16th, and the the Morningstar Big Annual Conference kicks off on this coming Wednesday, September 22nd, and runs through Friday the 24th. And we're going to talk to her about this. Is the as far as I can tell the the only remaining big conference still on track for 2021. And uh, we saw the FBA fall. I don't think Schwab had anything this year in person. But Morningstar, they you know they kept going. It's last year it was a virtual conference. This year it's a hybrid. And uh, Leslie tells us that you can sign up as early as the day of, in person or virtually. And we're going to talk to Leslie a little bit about some of the angst and uh, programming and challenges that went into this, and how you're still pulling it off. And uh, well, welcome to the program, Leslie. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it and um, appreciate Investment News and all the work that your team does. All right. Well, thank you for that. I plan on attending virtually the conference. I'm already getting my, my little uh, press announcements and invitations to meet with some of your people. Tell us about this. What was there any point in 2021 that Morningstar considered not having an in-person event? Great question. You know, this year has been all about the pivot, all about really taking a look at the year, what's happening and evaluating our options. So, we actually planned on our conference to take place earlier this year in May of 2021. And in discussing our options with our leadership team, we knew if we had the conference in May, we would only be able to host it virtually. And our leadership team felt strongly that people were experiencing Zoom fatigue, digital fatigue, and wanted to try to be able to host a conference in person this year in 2021 and bring people together. And so we took a look at what our options were. Um, We were able to secure dates for for the September, as you mentioned, next week, September 22nd. And we chose um, a location at McCormick Place, which allowed us to really think through and host a flexible event experience. So we're at Lakeside Center at McCormick Place, and we chose that space because we could accommodate social distancing. We could limit attendance if we needed to, if there were attendance restriction requirements from the city. And um, we could also really focus on creating experience for attendees that allowed for a lot of comfort. So, and excuse me, Leslie, but that's you're in downtown Chicago, of course. We are in downtown Chicago. Right. And so, really, for us, we really have focused this whole year on being able to host an in person experience in addition to what you've described, Jeff, as a hybrid experience. So, attendees can really pick and choose the experience that's right for them. We learned last year during the pandemic when we hosted an all digital event that people really liked the flexibility, they liked being able to take a break from their workday, watch sessions, connect with people online, and then go back to their work, not having to travel. I do think the hybrid events experience is what the future will look like for events. And we plan on pursuing that and really investing our in our resources in that hybrid experience. 
in addition to digital desktop in person at McCormick Place, we are also hosting the conference through virtual reality, where someone will put be able to put on an Oculus Quest headset and go right into the conference experience. Um, they'll have an avatar. And they'll be able to navigate around the conference space, actually sit next to someone in a session, talk about it after the talk about the session afterwards, connect and network with each other. So we're experimenting on a lot of levels and really bringing that event experience to people in, in these three different ways. In terms of whether or not we would cancel the conference, that was never on our mind um, as an option because we would always be able to fall back on the digital piece. So for us, canceling the conference wasn't a mindset. The in-person piece and whether we would move forward with that, we've been monitoring the situation in Chicago and the state of Illinois very closely. We've been also looking at ways, like what are the, all the things we need to consider when it comes to hosting an in-person conference? And so one of the things, Jeff, you asked me to think about in preparation for this call or, or was what's different about this year? How about pandemic protocol certification? You know, two of our team members <laughs> went through that type of certification to understand what are the things we need to have in place to be able to host a safe environment. That doesn't mean it's risk-free because we're living in a world that is changing all the time with the um, c- coronavirus. But our team members who went through that certification really thought through what are the health requirements we need to have in place we worked with our own legal and health teams to understand what we needed to have in place in order to do this. And so I'm really proud of all the work that the team has done. We have a COVID liability waiver that outlines who should or shouldn't come to the conference. We have, we'll have we be following a mask requirement, which is in place for the whole city of Chicago, but we've had that in place as part of our registration process since, since June. We have contact tracing permissions that attendees have to accept when they register. We'll be providing socially distant seating options. And then also to make this experience friendly and adaptive, we also have ways that the attendee can share what their comfort level is with, with contact with each other. So each attendee, when they come on site, they'll get a package of buttons that mentions like hugs and hugs and high fives, elbow bumps only, wave from a distance. So maybe at the first day of the conference, they're going to be just, hey, let's just keep wave from a distance. But maybe as they become more comfortable and feel more comfortable in the environment, maybe by the end of it, they're willing to put on that um, hugs and high fives button. So again, it really speaks to what's the attendee experience, putting that attendee at the center of that experience and letting them choose what type of conference experience they want to have. Leslie, how many people have signed up to actually attend physically the meeting and then how many are attending virtually? And did that fall into your expectations or, or not? It has. So we've targeted 850. We had we set a target for in-person attendance of 850. We're at just over 800 right now. That's about 42% of the total that have registered. We have over we have close to over 1,900 people registered. And so when you do the math, that's another right. 1,100 who have read, are only going to attend digitally. Again, when we think about the attendee experience, those in-person attendees will also be able to go back and log into the digital experience, consume any of the content that they missed while they were in person. And the content is available to all registrants through October 24th. And we worked hard when we thought about the content. When, when we ask people why they come to the Morningstar Investment Conference, they come because they want really good investing insights, insights that help them with their practice, content that helps them make decisions. For their on behalf of their clients, the investors that they serve. So 
we focused a lot of, on content and we have 25 continuing education credits available across the whole agenda. So being able to offer that to advisors in a time and place where they are enabled possibly to go out and get that attendance has, I think, brings a lot of value. So, Well, they also get access to your great Morningstar people, right? Yes, absolutely. They get and access. And your analysts like our old colleague here in Investment News, Jason Kephart. Exactly. Yep. So I know Jason is on your alts team, I believe, or was. Yep. He's and, part of our manager research team. Yeah. He'll be there presenting at the conference. And so, yes, in-person access to Morningstar expertise, being able to speak to people in person, people like Christine Benz, Jeff Patak. Right. You know, being able to meet those people in person will be is, is an option as well. I mean, for those people who aren't really aware or kind of new to the industry, the Morningstar Conference, Jeff, right, is like one of the big it's one of the big deals of the industry with Schwab, Morningstar, FPA, maybe. But yeah, and I see the, the Morningstar yeah, meeting a, is a big deal. Right. And, and it's usually in June, right? Right. Correct. It's May or June. Yeah. Correct. Traditionally, we hold it in May or June. These last two years, we've again had to be really flexible with our planning and pivot to hosting at different times of the year. Again, with this year's strategy, being able to think about, okay, we want to host something in person. We moved it to September. It is a longstanding conference, 33 years. This will be our 33rd conference. And so we haven't missed a year, even even during the pandemic. So. Mm-hmm. What? How do those numbers, Leslie, compare to pre-pandemic attendee numbers? They are actually stronger in terms of total attendance from the attendee side. So in previous pandemic years, we have about 3,000 attendees. Um, that's all in, including... So when I go back to even 2018, we had 2,200 total attendees. Last year, we had over 3,000 attendees on the digital platform. So our hybrid experience will deliver as many, if not more, attendees than mm-hmm. you know, kind of our last in-person only type experience in 2018. What about sponsors? I know sponsors are how these things get paid for. Did you have any? Uh, what, what were the challenges there? I mean, did you have sp- enough sponsorship last year when it was all digital, and uh, how is that working now? I'm assuming you've got to create brand new kind of offerings to these sponsors, right? We did. We had to go back to the drawing board, work closely with our sales teams to think about, okay, what's important to the sponsor? What types of packages should we put together? So we, last year, and we've applied the same strategy this year, focused on digital sponsorships. And the digital sponsorship, we only offered 30 of them. So we rather than in previous years, we had as many as uh, like 50 sponsors and in total, 174 exhibiting companies. So this last year is really focused on digital sponsors. And again, because we didn't want to dilute the sponsorship offering, we wanted to offer a really robust uh, package of branding opportunities, content opportunities, and lead generation opportunities. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the programs that we developed last year that was very successful that we're bringing back this year is a program called Meet the Manager. As you mentioned, People that come to our conference love being able to meet the managers in person. And so we did a meet the manager program. And the, we're to this year on Wednesday, September 22nd, on the digital platform from 9 to 3, attendees will have a chance to meet 10 managers from Fidelity, PGM, Baird, MFS, Jensen, BlackRock, 
and more throughout that morning. So there'll be live Zoom presentations where they can hear from the managers directly, ask them questions. So that's been a very successful program. We've put that together with feedback from the sponsors who want to get in front of the advisor, as well as advisors who want to meet the managers. So just some of the ways we're thinking about not just logos and you know branding, but really bringing their content to an audience that wants to hear it. This is, uh, I, I meant to ask you this earlier when you were talking about the attendees, but I, I forgot. What are the local rules and protocols in Chicago? Do do people have to show proof of a vaccine? Do they have to show proof of a negative COVID test? I mean, what what are the attendees or are, are do you have any of those requirements for attendees in person? We have, we are not requiring proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test for attendees who register. We do have a registration process where they are required to acknowledge our COVID liability waiver, which outlines the scenarios under which they should not attend. So, for example, if someone is not vaccinated and they're coming from a hotspot, which at this point in the United States is anywhere, they're recommended that they do not attend the conference. And so we, as part of the registration process, we asked people to disclose their vaccination status. You could say you were vaccinated, you were partially vaccinated, or you could say you were prefer not to say. The people who chose, they prefer not to share that information with them. We followed up this week with an email that said, here's our reminding you, here's your COVID, here's the COVID liability waiver that you've agreed to abide by. If you're not vaccinated, we're asking people not to come to the conference. and we are offering them a refund or we're offering them a digital registration only. Now, this isn't this is an honor system. We aren't going to be asking for proof of vaccination on site or proof of a negative COVID test. Um, we're working on our 2022 plans. If we decide to implement procedures like that, we want to be able to be collecting that information in a responsible way. This year, we've got a liability waiver that's basically asking people to disclose, to, to check themselves and be honest and be honest about their status. So that's how we're handling it. You're going to, you said you're going to refund the uh, attendee fee. If what are the fees the same as they were in the, the pre COVID days or have things shifted a little bit because of the, the way things are a little bit different now? They've shifted slightly. So our in-person registration fee full price is $8.99. Early bird price was $7.49. It's about a hundred dollars cheaper than from our 2019 pricing. On the digital side, prices are four ninety nine full price or three forty nine early bird. So, they're 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 you know a little bit lower on the uh, digital side only because you don't have all the costs with food and that sort of thing to host for people. But they're about in line because we we do we don't want to discount the value of our conference. We again feel like we offer a lot of really great content and and access to investing experts. And so uh, we've kept the prices in line. And when I've done our Pricing comparison to other conferences, they're they're pretty much in line with the FPA and other other financial events. Let's talk about the agenda a little bit. I I gotta say, as a journalist that goes or used to go to a lot of these kind of events, and you're running around like crazy trying to hit session after session and then writing a story, and you know, <laughs> um, this is so much easier for me to sit in my home and cover these sessions and write stories about them. I know I'm missing a lot because there's no hallway conversations. There's no meetings. There's no gossip, Jeff. You're missing the gossip, my friend. No no hot gossip, right? No, I mean, clearly, (laughs) if if I had my druthers, I would always choose to be in person. But it's You used to go to a lot of these, too, man. 
I mean, we all at investment news, we all go to a fair amount, but yeah, I've always been impressed by the amount of travel that you've been able to pull off. Yeah. So I do like going to them, but it, I feel like I can be much more productive to keep my bosses happier while I'm sitting at home covering these events. But talk to us. I'm I'm looking at the agenda right now, Leslie, and I only see one cocktail reception. And I only point that out because normally there's one every night. Is this uh, kind of a COVID protocol reason or something else? Or yeah, great question. We to go back to the agenda. We've got a really packed agenda. As I mentioned, you qualify for 25 CE credits. We also thought about the agenda format. So all the sessions will be live streamed from Ari Crown Theater. So it's going to be a great experience for people who are in person. They're going to get that full theater experience. They're going to be able to see people like Kathy Wood, Rob Arnott, Bill Browder. They're going to be able to see Bill Nigren all right there on stage. And then uh, for the, the audience like yourself, Jeff, from home, you'll be able to see those live streamed. And then one of the new things that we're doing this year for the digital audience is one breakout per breakout out of four will be also live streamed for each session. So you won't miss a you won't miss any of the sessions. And then after the conference is over, we'll offer all of the content available on demand. So the three breakout sessions that you'll you miss that week, you'll be able to catch up on with them next the following week. So we've got a really full schedule from you know Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, all day Thursday, half day Friday. So Wednesday we originally had some reception plans organized and we just decided again to kind of scrap that and it's not so put so much on the attendee so really if they wanted to go out enjoy the evening we decided to just put that into the schedule like just a little bit more breathing room a little bit more flexibility that attendees if they wanted to go to dinner wednesday night make their own plans i'm aware of some events hosted by some sponsors that are invite only so wednesday night is kind of a do-it-yourself get out there get out into the city enjoy the city Thursday, we are hosting a short networking reception Thursday at the end of the day to help people network and connect on, on site, but we aren't hosting a, like a bigger event. We did have originally Buddy Guy was scheduled to perform this year. Oh, wow. Fantastic. He was had to cancel just due to the Delta variant. He, right. his, um, his concert schedule, anything that was scheduled through September, the end of September was moved out into moved out. So for us, we decided we're going to have Buddy Guy come in 2022 so that we could have a fuller experience, a fuller celebration type evening. So we have we have cut, cut back a little bit on our networking evenings, but again, I don't think it is I think it's the right thing to do in, in this environment. And Buddy Guy is a veteran, old-time R&B, rhythm and blues guitarist of, of yeah, Break yeah. Down. We right? were so excited so. to have him be part of our event. He's, you know, Grammy Award winning. Right. We also really wanted to host someone who... He's uh, legendary. Nat- yeah, exactly. A blues yeah. legend, native to Chicago, very much a part of the Chicago blues scene. And we're really excited to have him back in 2022 and be able to really host him in a way that is fitting for an, an artist of his stature. Oh, that's fantastic. Are you still having the uh, media dinner? You, there was Morningstar always had a big media dinner. <laughs> Notice that Jeff is asking about the free food and the free drinks. Well, yeah, that gotta, seems to be his. Gonna, uh, that's what good journalists want, right, Jeff? <laughs> I think I'm that's what we, any here. conference attendee wants, right? You want all the you want all the good food and and beverage. Yeah, I mean, it feels that experience. So you also get access to a lot of people at, Mor- at Morningstar for, at that dinner. Yes, you do. It's uh, a absolutely, nice, it's a nice deal. But I didn't yeah, know we want to bring those people. Matter. We want to bring the media to connect together with our our leaders at Morningstar. 
we aren't going to be hosting a media dinner or a media connecting night, given that a lot of the media that we, we do have a, quite a few media in attendance, but most of them are attending on the digital side. So we aren't, but we're not going to be hosting a networking evening for, for those folks this year. Okay. Anything else, Bruce, for Leslie? I was just wondering about the expense of doing in-person and virtual, Leslie, because that's what kind of I've been hearing, you know, rumblings about that it drives up the expense for an event. And that's why some organizations have gone virtual only because they couldn't deal with A, either the expense or B, the logistics. The logistics are definitely, I think, the harder part about hybrid. I was just having a conversation with one of our team members. It is double the work because you're really thinking about these are all the things we need to execute on the digital side. These are the things. It's two conferences. It really is. And so that's definitely, I'm not going to undercut that that's not challenging. It it is a big challenge and there's a big learning curve. Our team is still learning the nuances, all the little things that make a digital event special. What are the, what are the things we want to retain and do more of in an in-person experience? So it is a lot of work and there's a lot of details to really, really think through. The expense side for us, I haven't seen it double our expenses in any way. We were already, you know, you're already paying for a venue, you're paying for filming and AV. We were already investing in quite a bit of technology before the pandemic to be able to record and share content with our with our audiences after the conference. So we are there are certainly investments, but I wouldn't describe them as double because we really think about ways to make our investments do more for us. So the technology for us is already investment we were making, whereas I think the bigger investment that we'll need to make going forward as we think about a hybrid strategy is just the teams that are are needed to continue to execute these events effectively. Right. Right. All right. Good stuff. I am so looking forward to this this conference. I'm going to feel like I'm there. I might even put a jacket on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know. get dressed up, right? I'm excited for the most... Buddy Guy in, in 2022. <laughs> yeah, Maybe mark your calendar, yeah. May 16th through the 18th in 2022. Wow. We'll probably, you know, depending on where we're at in that time of year, we'll, we'll hopefully look for a venue um, to host him at as well. So, yeah, you've got things to look forward to in 2022, and we've got a great lineup for attendees, whether you're going to be online like Jeff, you're coming in person to meet us at McCormick Place, you're meeting us in VR, you know, we've got great experiences for all types of attendees and um, great investment content. You're not going to be let down by the quality of the content. And people can follow us online with the hashtag MICUS. You know, we've got a team that will be active on Twitter, on Instagram, um, sharing out kind of behind the scenes content. So and then Chicago in the late summer, right? I mean, Chicago, what a, what a great town. I always love going to Chicago. Yes, and we're supposed to get, it's actually supposed to be quite warm. It's kind of summery next next week, and we'll be at Lakeside Center, so right on the lake. So when people need a break to get outside, they can be right on the lake there. So a great experience from wherever you're, wherever you're coming from. All right, Leslie Marshall. Bruce, what is Leslie Marshall's title again? I forgot. <laughs> I don't have it written down, but it's something about experiential not experimental. I yeah, not to be confused with experimental marketing. <laughs> Head of experiential marketing. <laughs> Head of experiential marketing it means you experience like yeah. Jimmy, the Jimi Hendrix experience. My Very friend. good. Although, you know, this last year with the pandemic, there's been a lot of experimenting. So I'll, I'll take that title too. So. <laughs> That's a good there you one. Go. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. 
Hey, everybody, we're back. This is Bruce. Uh, Jeff and I are now going to talk a little bit about something that I wrote a column about recently, about a big money manager in the Midwest who apparently was conspiring with some local firms out in Kansas City, Missouri, that prevented its employees from being hired by other wealth managers or money management type firms in the area. So name of the firm is American Century. They have 1,400 employees. They're based out of Kansas City, Missouri. And we got our hands on a on a letter from the antitrust department of the Department of Justice. And essentially, the, the company was breaking the law here, even though it doesn't face criminal charges. And it wasn't letting its employee, it was, it was conspiring with other firms in the area, as I said, to not hire its employees. So, you know, in my column, I was saying, hey, this is supposed, you know, the financial advice industry, Jeff, right, is supposed to be a bastion of capitalism. And what's more, and the one of the fundamental principles of capitalism is that labor can go be hired, right? You can sell your services to the highest bidder. And unfortunately, if you're a wealth management employee in this Kansas City, Missouri market and work for American Century and perhaps some other firms out there, that's not true. So I was I was kind of fired up when I wrote that column. I was I was I I just think this is this is terrible situation. And I've spoken since then to some former employees at American Century, and they kind of confirmed that this is this was really this was happening and. There's more to this story than we actually know right now. So what was your, what's your sense of this? Or do you have any questions for me? Yeah, or? yeah I do. Um, first of all, you say this in the story. Why, why weren't the names of the other companies listed in this complaint? Jeff, you know I wish I, mean? I could tell you. I called the Justice Department to ask them about this. Yeah. And it's they strange. wouldn't talk to me about it, of course. It's And see- even the notion, even that we got a our hands on this agreement, right, between uh-huh. the Justice Department and American Century is unusual because it's not a public document that I could find. It was sent it was sent to us in, in confidence. And then we confirmed it. You know, but there's still big questions. I mean, Kansas City, as you know, there's a lot of pretty big wealth management firms out there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, is it was this as far as you know, Bruce, local to to Kansas City, or did they have agreements with other wealth management firms around the country? Or I think it was local to Kansas City. Uh huh. Right, and according to the Department of Justice, American Century conspired to suppress and eliminate competition by entering into and managing a bilateral market allocation agreement with another firm with which it competes for asset and wealth management employees. So it's at least one other firm. Right. And the people whom I've spoken to since then, there's a lot of speculation about who this could be and how deep this goes at American Century. But that's all speculation. We don't have anything new to report, unfortunately. It's kind of weird that there's, you know, they get charged with something. I don't know how serious it is, but there's no fine. There's no punishment. Well, so they had to set aside at least a, a 1.5 million bucks uh-huh. to pay the affected employees. Okay. How do you, how do they know who the affected employees are? Well, th- I think 
again, this is something that we're in the dark about because right. it's a very um, opaque process. I would imagine that the employees could – I, I think there's some outside firm. I don't know if it's a compliance firm or wh- whatever that's monitoring this. So if you're an employee, okay. you would, you've been told by HR if this had an impact on you, go to these people. Yeah. But I mean, they wouldn't even get on American Century wouldn't get on the phone with me to answer our questions, you know? Yeah, I'm not surprised about that. The way I read this, Bruce, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that American Century agreed with one or more other firms not to recruit. It doesn't mean they wouldn't hire them if they applied, right? Isn't that what it was? I think they were rigging the hiring across the board. That's that's how I read the the agreement. Okay, so they're they so they said, stopped the flow of personnel going both ways. Okay, out yeah, of that's, that's American crazy. Century and into American that Century. Is, it's a weird idea, you know what I mean? Because you figure you're going to lose some and you're going to gain some. It's well, how it's, would you like it, man? If you were told you couldn't get, you couldn't talk to, you know, if you went if there was a job opening at a competing news service, right? Uh-huh. At Reuters or Dow Jones or something, and you went to apply, and they said, "Oh, we don't hire people from investment news." Yeah, I, what do you I, mean I you don't hire people from. That? Oh, that's just the way it is. <laughs> to me, it seems like this was a little more kind of on the sly than that. It seems like it was the recruiting, the companies in charge of the recruiting, the people in charge of the recruiting said, "We're not going to recruit your people. You don't recruit our people." And, you know, we'll let the chips fall where they may. Because I don't think if I went to apply for a job somewhere, and for the record, I'm not applying for jobs anywhere. But Good. hypothetically, if I went to apply <laughs> for a job somewhere and and they said, we don't hire people from investment news because we have an agreement, I would be like, well, that's probably against the law. <laughs> right. So. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, this leaked out there somehow. You know, who knows? Well, it's interesting. None of the national press has really, not even the financial press has really written about this. It, it, it the, the prosecution agreement that I got my hands on, the non-prosecution agreement rather, which is like a, you know, a settlement, right? Essentially. But for a criminal issue, it was dated March 5th. And then there were a couple just doing a simple Google Google search. There was one or two local news stories about it back like over the 4th of July weekend or near the 4th of July weekend. But no one nationally had written about this. And I've gotten several phone calls from former American Century employees who said, oh, you don't even know the half of it. Well, but the rest is, again, speculation. So, I mean, in the the non-prosecution agreement, for example, they say there's a senior level executive was involved here. Well, who is that? Why won't they say? <laughs> is that has that person been fired or been reprimanded? And why are it's to your point, why aren't the other firms named? Didn't they break the law too? You know? Yeah. And I wonder if American Century or whichever firm got this idea from somewhere else. You know what I mean? It, it, right. it just, you know how financial services is. There's no way if you see one, right. there's no way they're the only one doing this. Yeah, there's at least half a dozen of them doing the same thing, right? Yeah, because I mean, it sounds, I guess once somebody's, eh, it sounds like a pretty good idea. Why don't we try that? You know, these executives <laughs> are moving around all the time and stuff. And so who knows? Yes. I mean, it's a bizarre story and uh, it, it is a little bit, a little bit irksome. I think it's troubling. Well, the reason, well, why would you do this, right? The, why would yeah. American Century or a big mutual fund company do this to keep, 
costs down, right? You want to control your labor to control your costs is what it says to me. Yeah, I guess if you look at it from a supply and demand issue, if there's uh, if there's less demand, then I guess these people can't jump ship for more money somewhere else. Right. I mean, I like to think of it as maybe they want to keep their good people in-house, but uh, <laughs> so they break the law. Well, without paying them more money, yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're doing it right. I'm not I saying have an idea. Let's hang on to our best people by breaking the law. Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Who knows? I don't know. I can't get inside their heads. They won't even answer your questions. So no, um, they won't. It's it's a bizarre story. What, did they, um, what they did tell us. What was their part of their response to us was American Century is committed to fair and honest competition and compliance <laughs> with all laws and regulations. Yeah. Oh. You kind of rigged the game there, boys, you know? Yeah. That's yeah, not fair I, and honest to me. Yeah, it would be uh, it would be interesting to hear if any – well, you said you've already heard from some people that have come to you and said – I've spoken to three former employees, mm-hmm. and, you know, these are the types of sources it takes time, right, to gain people's confidence and trust, yeah. right? And basically, they're – speaking for current employees, right? Mm-hmm. And so the information is no good to me because it's secondhand information, right? And for invest- yeah. not good for me or investment. So when you, it's interesting, it's something, you know, the whole process, someone calls you up with this information and you have to explain to them how journalists work. <laughs> we really can't use secondhand information, you know, as way, as a primary source to publish something. So it, it 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 takes a while. Maybe we'll get maybe we'll gather some more spring on this. Maybe we won't. If people hear this podcast, yeah, give us you know go to the website, get our get my information. Go to Twitter, you know, send me an instant message on Twitter, whatever. We'd love to hear more about it. You know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it with you today. Yeah, is to kind of p- continue to push this out there and, and see if we can get some more string on this. Yeah, I so let us know if you hear about this. If you have some. <laughs> Some inside information, whether it's American Century or another firm that is uh, doing this kind of thing, because uh, Bruce Kelly does not like people being treated unfairly. He will be all over you like a wet blanket. Well, work is hard enough, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. and then, you know, and then this happens and then you're told your company has been conspiring with other companies to not hire people fairly. I mean, come on. Yep. I thought we were all capitalists, Jeff. Well, capitalism comes in mysterious forms, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, all right, my friend. Anything else on that? Uh, no, great. Good stuff. Can't wait to hear the, the follow-up on that story. Me too. Well, Jeff, that was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. As you know, Jeff, we launch on Mondays. And we want to thank our special guest, Leslie Marshall from Morningstar. They got a big conference coming up, and Jeff's going to be attending that virtually. We also want to thank Stephen Lamb, our producer. You can find this, the podcast at investmentnews.com and all the other places Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple and follow us on Spotify if you want to reach out to us about any of these issues. You can uh, get Jeff. His handle on Twitter is at Benji Ryder. Mine is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned because we'll be talking to you next week.